Good morning. If you've ever wondered if it's intimidating to preach here, it is. And I'm really glad that your organist gives you extra time to really like ramp up your anxiety. <laughs> it is a pleasure to be with you as your missioner for thriving congregations. Thank you, Dean and friend Nathan, for the invitation. An invitation perhaps to reassure the community here gathered that you can continue to thrive while Nathan is away on his sabbatical. <laughs> In fact, the lectionary today gives us a look at two very different ways of being disciples. You can choose to be the disciples in the book of Acts, standing with conviction, defying human authority to proclaim the God of resurrection. Or you could choose to be the disciples in our text from the Gospel of John, locked away in an upper room, fearful and confused until Nathan returns. <laughs> I would like to persuade you toward being the disciples of Acts, firm in your faith and seeking to share it with those around you, as I believe that what the world around us needs is that far more than our fear. Plus, your dean is locking himself away in a prayer hermitage, so really you have no choice. <laughs> it has been quite a shift for me to be a diocesan staff person after 15 years of parish ministry. I now have one foot firmly and routinely planted in congregational ministry and development. But there is this other foot where I find myself far more often in a secular world than I have been accustomed, especially on Sunday mornings. As you all were celebrating Palm Sunday with a spectacular llama procession, <laughs> I was at a five-year-old's alien-themed birthday party, <laughs> which started at 10 a.m on a Sunday morning, Palm Sunday. I was startled to be in a space full of people who did not wake up knowing it was Palm Sunday. <laughs> they may have some nostalgia toward Easter traditions, but otherwise are unconnected to the story we reenact through liturgy and ritual and feel in our very beings every year at this time. It was particularly disorienting for me because I know people need this story, need to touch the very wounds that Thomas needed to touch and believe that God is alive in it, with us, always. And yesterday, I officiated and preached 
at a funeral for a peer, a woman two years younger than me and with a son the same age as my son. It is disorienting when someone dies when they aren't supposed to die. We are not supposed to widow our 30-something-year-old partner. We're not supposed to leave our mothers without their daughter. We're not supposed to die before we see our children grow up. And when this happens, it is disorienting. And I was grateful that I was able to participate in the rest of the Triduum and heard a great Easter vigil sermon about the role that disorientation can have in our life of faith. It taught me that it is by our experience of being disoriented that we can learn to be in the world shaping and sharing the hope and truth of resurrection. And now I believe that it was the experience of being disoriented that moved the disciples from afraid unbelievers to strong countercultural evangelists. I want to be those disciples. I want to bring tangible hope and resurrection story to the hurt and grieving world. Yet our culture teaches us to move away from hurt. We are conditioned to avoid risks of heartache and encouraged to repress the vulnerability of our experiences by moving on past the hard thing and toward the healed version of the story. We articulate our understanding with precision of words and intellect, and never think to share the messy, unprocessed, unpackaged emotions of our real experience. But the post-resurrection stories show us something different. We watch the disciples trying to figure out what happened in real time. And then for Jesus to show up with these wounds that are still open, not erased, exclaims again that nothing will happen as we expected it to happen. I am thinking about the community of Trinity Cathedral receiving today the results of your participation in the Mission Institute's racial justice audit. I'm thinking about how this is an opportunity to unlearn, be disoriented to what we have sometimes unknowingly been taught about race and privilege. It will allow you to shake loose the bonds that perpetuate a system we benefit from often, to touch the wounds of the hurt we have caused and feel our way through believing we can do something different. Your dean is going on his sabbatical to be disoriented. My understanding is he is going to be building a pustinia 
a small one-room cabin-type creation meant for prayer. I had learned about this from a book given to me about a decade ago called Pustinia, Encountering God and Silence, Solitude, and Prayer by Catherine Doherty. Apparently the same book that inspired Nathan's sabbatical idea. She describes Pustinia as an entry into the desert, a lonely place, a silent place, where we can go in order to gather courage to speak the words of truth, remembering that truth is God and that we proclaim the word of God. It will be disorienting to Nathan. You might not know that I've known Nathan for near 20 years. And this particular way in which Doherty describes the first act of a pustinic, the person entering a pustinia, is to fold the wings of his intellect and open the doors of his heart. Put your head into your heart and try to achieve a deep and profound interior silence. It is then, she writes, when one is deeply silent that God begins to speak. This is where disorientation begins for all of us, when we put our head into our heart. When Thomas admitted his unbelief and touched Jesus' wounds, he moved from his head into his heart. This is what led the disciples out of that upper room and into the world to form a new community. And this is our invitation to be disoriented, to put our heads into our hearts. Catherine Doherty wrote a poem in her chapter on touching God, and I offer it to you, Nathan, as a prayer for your sabbatical, and to you, Trinity community, as you also embark on this journey. Listen to yourself so as to find the path to God within the frail walls of your humanness. Listen to yourself, for it is you alone who will lead yourself to God or away from God. Listen to yourself. Listen to God when you have led yourself to God. Listen well, for if you hear God's voice, you will be wise with the wisdom of the Lord. And then you will be able to hear the voice of humankind, not as a surging sea or as a mob, but each person's speech is their own, a treasure given to you beyond all expectations, because you led yourself to God and listen to God's voice. Amen.